in the first epistle of Paul to Timothy. Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, Paul wrote, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Hello there, my name is Toby. And on today's special episode of Always Fragrance Podcast, I bring you a teaching titled Christians and Pleasure. In today's world driven by pleasure, I believe this encouragement is very important. How should a Christian approach pleasure? What should a Christian think of pleasure? And how can a Christian enjoy the good things of life? I believe today's teaching will be encouraging, instructive, and I'm sure you'll be really blessed. Listen in, and I'll be right back. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, grievous times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, Yes, not lovers of good, they are traitors, headstrong, conceited, and they will be lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 from verse 1. And I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with means. Means I will test you with amusement. Therefore, enjoy pleasure and behold, this was also vanity. One of the things that characterize this age is pleasure. As a matter of fact, a lot of sociologists and anthropologists have termed this century the century of pleasure or the age of pleasure. Everything that is being designed, everything that is being introduced, has been introduced and designed to satisfy and to give pleasure. As a matter of fact, even engineers are engineering things that will deliver pleasure at the expense of utility. So when you're designing a car, for example, the function of the car is for you to take you from point A point B. But the focus of engineers now is not just on the car to take you from point A to point B, but for the car to give you maximum pleasure. So the focus is no more on utility. Look at all the new introductions in gadgets and technology. Everything is to give you pleasure. Because they know that in this age, what catches our fancy, what attracts us, what we are running after is pleasure. So, does that mean that pleasure is not good? No. As a matter of fact, pleasure is God-given. Some attributes of God are communicable to us. For example, we love because God is love. It's communicable. But another, another attribute of God, like omnipresence, is not communicable. You are here, you are not in Guinea or Lefkosia, but God is in both places at the same time. 
So one of those communicable attributes of God is pleasure. Does God have pleasure? Absolutely. God wants pleasure and God has pleasure. And we come to that. So God is the one that designed us in such a way to be able to enjoy and have pleasure. So pleasure in and of itself is not something that this age has devised and come up with by themselves. However, this age and the God and the managers and the administrators in this age have only capitalized on pleasure and perverse it just like every other thing that we mentioned earlier. For example, sexuality. So, God is not against you having pleasure. God is the one that created you to enjoy life. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of scriptures that God that mention that God gives you certain things to enjoy. For example, God has blessed you with blessings that you may enjoy. Another part, he says, God has given you the wife of your youth that you may enjoy. I like that. <laughs> that I may enjoy. Because it is the idea of God. However, the devil goes slandering. He says that God does not want you to enjoy. He does not want you to have pleasure. And that was what he did in Genesis anyway, Genesis chapter 3. He said, God knows that when you hit this thing, you would have fun. He's the one who is withholding something from you. He tells you a lie that there's something out there that you are missing out on. He's slanderous. He's painting God in a bad picture. But I've not seen anyone that desires pleasure more than God. As a matter of God, God's pleasure is eternal. Unending Fahaji. It does not end. Our pleasure ends when it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, we are back to work. Pleasure for God is eternal. So, pleasure is divine. Say, pleasure is divine. However, in this age, we go on to perverse the things that God has created, and we perverse pleasure. We perverse pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that I started reading is Solomon trying to find pleasure. And I know some people in your mind are like, oh, this guy does not know what he's saying. But Solomon sure knows what he's saying. So let us go to Solomon and listen to him and hear what Solomon has to say. So Solomon told his heart, say, my heart, come, let me show you pleasure. So the first thing that Solomon did, he said, I said to laughter, come, let me just laugh, let me just have fun. He said, it is mad. And of meat, what does it do? He said, I gave myself to laughter. I gave myself to amusement. Some of us find pleasure in that. I know, but those idiots. <laughs> just being amused. Watching comedy. Just being amused. Reading memes. But Solomon said, even that, what does it do? It does not give pleasure. The next thing that Solomon tried. He said, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. But that also does not give pleasure. The next thing Solomon tried, he said, I made great works. I builded houses. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees. In all of them, 
all kinds of fruit. He said, I made for myself pools of water. Of water there with the wood which bringeth forth trees. He went on, he said, I got servants, male and female, both the ones born in my house and the ones that I hired. He said, I had great possessions. I had great and small cattle. Above all, no one in Jerusalem had more than I did. He went on. He said, I gathered silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. He didn't stop there. He said, I went on and I gathered myself singers, men and women. You see, these are all the things that Solomon tried. He said, and the delight of the sons of men, musical instruments of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all the men before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. So Solomon tried everything. And he thought that whatever his heart thinks of, he does not withhold it from himself. And then, he comes to the same conclusion that all this, that the works of my hand has read, verse 11, and all the things that I have labored for myself, behold, all is nothing. They are just a vexation of spirit. And there is no profit in them. So, Solomon also goes in search of pleasure, just like you and I. And he has tried everything that you intend to try. He had 700 beautiful wives and 300 sexy concubines. He had all shades of all things. Short, tall, fat, thin, A, shape, B, shape, eight, shape, Z, shape, Y, shape, zero, shape. He had all sorts. He said he gathered money that you and I are chasing. All silver, all gold. He said he hired musicians. Some people say, if I just have Kenny G, come play his tenor sax for me. I'm just okay. If I had all of the Kenny G's of his age. Yet, he came to one conclusion. That you will come to if you tread that path. It is all nothing. It is all vanity. So, how then do we have pleasure? If God is the one that desired pleasure... And if we go out about chasing and finding pleasure the way we think is right and we're not getting it, the way 21st century is selling it to us, one cup of beer is good, but is 10 or 15 great? One woman is good, but is 25 great? I mean, we're in church, okay? And I know you're trying to be very spiritual. But if you take one cup of wine, you feel great. Okay? Fine. Fantastic. But because you feel great with one, you are tempted to think that if you go on with five, 
you will feel better. You might feel better. And then at some point, say, if I do 15, I'll feel much, much better. That is a lie. <laughs> that is the lie. And that is the point that Solomon came to. He said, one woman is fantastic. I can have 1,000. And at the end of it, he realized that nothing. So brothers, he has tried it for you. Don't try it yourself. So what, uh, what then is the chief aim of man? Westminster Catechism, those of us that are familiar with it. So what then is the chief end of man? And they said, they answered in that catechism that, or catechism, it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Piper, in his theology of theo-idoism, he said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So when God created us and gave us pleasure, that pleasure was intended to be satisfied in him. And God also made himself to have pleasure. And guess where that pleasure is satisfied? In you. So if God goes in another way trying to fulfill his pleasure, it will not be fulfilled. The same way you go in another way trying to fulfill the want and pleasure, you will never be fulfilled. Why? Because our desire for pleasure, it is infinite. So if you try to meet it with, with finite things, you will be frustrated. So I go back to the uh, example of substances, wine, for example. If you continue to derive pleasure in wine, is wine infinitely good? Is wine infinitely beautiful? Is wine infinitely loving? Is wine infinitely true? You deserve pleasure in women or men. And I hope that when I say women, I'm talking to men. And I'm not talking to women. Is sex infinitely good? It is good, but it is not endlessly good. If you sleep with one, it's great. If you sleep with 25, it's terrible. If you sleep with 1,000 like Solomon, you come to the point of nothingness. Economics, we say, law of diminishing. It is not economy of scale. It is not. <laughs> because they are not infinitely good. They are not infinitely true. They are not infinitely loving. And they are not infinitely beautiful. The pleasure that God has created in us is to be infinitely satisfied by the one that is infinitely true. By the one that is infinitely good. By the one that is infinitely beautiful. And by the one that is infinitely loving. So, the Ecclesiastes chapter 2 kind of pleasure, we require prudence. We, we require only vigilance. When you are indulging in them, you have to indulge with caution and circumspect. Because much indulgence, first, will weaken your watchfulness and guard. 
which a good and a wise man will find necessary to maintain himself. When you indulge in this kind of pleasure, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 kind of pleasure, without restraint, you lose God. You lose watchfulness, which is the hallmark of our Christian walk. Then the next step is that once you lose God, and you lose watchfulness, it opens you up to strong temptations that you cannot resist. You see, wisdom is not in the fact that you are in a room with a naked woman and you are able to stand. That's not strength. Strength is that you do not put yourself in that situation at all. That is strength. Because if you find yourself in that situation... <laughs> so when you lose God and watchfulness it opens you to strong temptation you are blindfolded you are easily seduced you are easily allured and then the temptation the pain and the regrets is now quoted in pleasure what you in your, in your natural sense will see that this is pain this is regret coming for me but now when your guards are down Regret now wear the coats of pleasure and does the makeup of fun. And you do not see beyond that makeup and that coat. You do not see that this is pain. You do not see that this is regret. You do not see that this is scars. Lifetime scars. You don't see them anymore. Because your guards are down. Watchfulness is gone. So when guards are down, when watchfulness is gone, the next step is that you become susceptible to strong temptations. And the third step is that now your sentiment of piety becomes completely removed. In other words, your consciousness of God, your respect and reverence for God is wiped away. Your sentiment towards piety, which means your attitude towards God, completely removed. I wrote here that it addings the heart. You become contracted. Luke chapter 8 verse 14 says that when the world is sown upon your heart, he said the world is trying to grow, but the pleasures of life come and choke it. Many of us are choking because we have let our guards down. We are enjoying the pleasures of this world without wisdom and circumspect. We are not approaching it with great wisdom. We are just letting guards down and say, come on, women, come on, wine. Come on, money. All the pleasures of this life, just come on without restraint. What happens? The world is choked. It is choked. Luke 8, verse 14. God becomes an unwelcome visitor. At this point in your life, you don't want him to come and ruin your joyous festival of pleasure. So you don't want him. You erase your dependence on him. Because now you're so much enjoying this fun that any mention of God looks as if this man is coming to ruin my phone. When we say come for Bible study, you're like, oh no, they are coming at my phone. Nobody's coming at your phone. Because when we are inviting you, it is fun, it is pleasure, it is the eternal kind of pleasure that can satisfy indeed. Not the Ecclesiastes chapter 2 kinds of pleasure. And the last stage is that you become haters 
of men. The result is that when you let down your guard, when you become susceptible to strong temptations, when you erase the knowledge and the memory of God, then you become haters of men. By that I mean you become selfish. You become wanting of. You become greedy. You become malicious. You become lascivious. You become wicked. You can lie. At that point, you begin to harm others. You begin to harm yourself. At that point, your even success of morals, not just God now, even just mere right or wrong that you can get just by being human is eroded. Compassion, gone. Sincerity, gone. Integrity, gone. You will lie, you will scheme, you will cheat. You will do all sorts of things to just continue to maintain that high level of pleasure. Because it is not sustainable without that. So you have to do all of these things. Those are the four stages that Solomon went through. And at the end of the day, he came and said, nothingness, vanity. Then what is the ideal pleasure? Psalms 34 verse 8 says that taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, pleasure targets our senses. Feel, hear, see, touch, smell. But the writer of the book of Psalms is saying, God can also be tasted. And when you taste, only then will you see that the Lord is good. You know why many people don't find these things that we find interesting, interesting? It's because they have trick they have tinkled and awakened the sense of pleasure in the wrong direction so when the pleasure as it's supposed to be is being you know they are trying to have this good kind of pleasure it is not pleasure either because that cell that part of pleasure is is no more they have awakened their sense of pleasure in the wrong direction now the psalmist is saying that Come, awaken your sense of pleasure in the right way. Taste and see. Give it a trial. And you will see that the Lord is good. The Lord is tasty. That's what he's saying. Taste and see that the Lord is tasty. That's what the psalmist is saying. Psalm 16 verse 11. He said, in the presence of the Lord. Just turn there, because we will be there to the rest of the service. Psalms, the Psalms of David, the king of Israel, chapter number 16 and verse 14. Verse, verse 11, chapter 16, 11. He said, thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence. Is fullness of joy. And at the right hand, there are pleasures evermore. So, how does the psalmist come to realize that in the presence of God, there are pleasures much more than Solomon tried? Let's go on the journey. I will start from verse 1. He said, O God, for indeed, I put my trust. If we would take our trust and put it in something else, is the very first step 
of trying to fulfill our pleasure in the wrong way. What do I mean? What I mean is that if you listen to an advert that tells you that when you take a substance and you take it regularly, it's going to give you maximum and full pleasure. Then, your trust is no longer in this word, but in that message. If you go on to say that, oh, what does it mean to say you are having one partner? That is not it. I mean, see, 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 see. Women are more than men. Why is that? Because God gave us the opportunity to take more than one. Now you are having trust in that message. But the psalmist said, no, my trust is in the Lord. And that is what Solomon missed. You see, Solomon put his trust in how much he can get to satisfy himself. Rather than putting his trust in what the Lord said he should do. Because actually, when Moses was instituting the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, kings shall not gather for themselves wives. Putting your trust in the Lord comes back to what we shared last week, that let your sense of right and wrong come from the Lord, not from the world. Put your trust in the Lord. Then the next thing, verse 3, he said, But to the saints of the earth and to the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The psalmist is saying here, that those that he puts round about him, those that he finds delight and pleasure with, are saints. Agios, the excellent ones. So after putting his trust in the Lord, getting his sense of right and wrong from the Lord, the next thing is surrounding himself with the right people. The saints, the excellent ones. Who are the people you find delight in. If you show me the people you find delight in, I show you in what your delight is. I show you where you derive pleasure from. I show you the direction that your life will go. You have to. If you don't want to go in the path of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 kind of pleasure, you have to watch the people that you surround yourself with. Because, verse 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied. They are hasting themselves after another. So, those that put themselves and go after another, he says their sorrow will be multiplied. Those that go after something else to satisfy themselves, their sorrow will be multiplied. The same thing Paul told Timothy. He said, in this world, people that are trying very hard, to be rich, are piercing themselves with many sorrows, avoidable sorrows. So if you go hard after another, he said their sorrows will be multiplied. He didn't say it will be added. So in other words, there is a geometric progression of their sorrows. But verse 5, said the Lord is my portion, glory to God. He is my inheritance. My cup is great. He maintaineth my lot. So when the devil tells you that 
God is against your pleasure. There is something outside there that you are missing. Let him know that the law is my portion. It simply means that I am not missing out on anything. Because the Lord is my portion. My Lord is secure. He maintains my portion. The analogy is that when the nation of Israel came to the land that the Lord will give them, they gave every family their own land. So every family, actually, in the nation of Israel, has a portion of land that they pass on from generation to generation. That is their own portion. That is their own lot. So everybody, none, nobody misses out. When God is giving something, when God is giving pleasure, nobody, nobody misses out. Everybody takes. Because your lot is maintained. It is God that watches over your lot to make sure that you have your own portion. So is this, is it pleasure? You have your own portion. Is it money? Is it sex? Is it fun? Is it holiday? Is it wine? Is it drinks? Whatever it is that you seek, God is the one making sure that your portion does not pass you by. So when the enemy comes and says, see, out there, there is something that you are missing. Let him know that the Lord is watching over your lot. The Lord maintains your portion. Even taking it further, after they divided the land, there are a group of people, they call them the Levites. And God said, these people, they will not have land. Why? Is it that God does not like them? God said, you cannot have land. Because I, I am your portion. I, I am your Lord. So why others have land? And the people of, the, 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 the Levi, the strength of Levi, Levi, uh, seemed as if they were missing out on the land, on the properties, on the good things. God said, I, Yahweh, I am your portion. I, Yahweh, I am your Lord. So if God is my portion, what am I looking for? If God is in whom my pleasure is most satisfied, where else is pleasure? When you are fully satisfied, you cannot seek pleasure again. When you are full, satisfied, full, really full, and somebody brings food to you. How do you feel? That is it. God is your portion. You are full. You are full. Nobody brings anything to you again. And catches your fancy. Because the Lord, Yahweh, is my portion. My Lord is maintained. Verse 6. Oh, He says, the lines are falling for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. In other words, because the Lord is my portion, when I go on in life, the lights are falling for me in pleasant places. My heritage is good, not the heritage of regret. I don't look back and see regret. I don't look back and see scars. I don't look back and say, I die alone. I wouldn't have gone with him. I wouldn't have taken that. I wouldn't have tried opium. I wouldn't have tried cocaine. I wouldn't have tried crack or cats or whatever you call it. I wouldn't have tried it. Because when you do this, the Lord is your portion. What happens to you? The lines are falling for you in pleasant places. The lines are falling for you in pleasant places. Your heritage is good. Your heritage is good. Your portion is good. In life and in the life that is to come. 
You don't have any regret. You don't have any sorrow. You can sleep at night and go to bed knowing that when you wake up the next morning, your life is taking a great turn. You will not be looking over your neck and watching that your actions are haunting you or haunting your children or haunting your husband. You will not want some, you will not want to be keeping something from your husband that you don't want him to know. That's not calling for you in present places. I won't do something that I will not want my wife to know and be hoping that one day somebody will not just show up and say, Hey! <laughs> and your wife will say, Honey! And Oni will be bitter that day. I like verse 7. It says, I will bless the Lord who had given me counsel. My reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. You see, night is the time that our gods are always down. At night, our gods are down. We want to enjoy. We want to have fun. But he says that the Lord gives me counsel. And he does what? He instructs me. Because every time you are about to go pursuing pleasure in the wrong way, guess what? Something instructs you. It's now left to you. Whether to say, okay, I will follow this instruction or not. My heart instructs me at night. Verse 8. He said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What are you setting before you? Before I'm 30, I have to drive Mercedes-Benz CLX 500. What are you setting before you? I must wear Mongolian human hair. <laughs> what are you setting before you? You must wear CR7 2002 edition. No, 2020. 2020 edition. What are you setting before you? See, if you set something wrong before you, you are in a precarious situation. You are in a terrible position. If you set something before you, that is not the Lord. I want to build my house before I am 40. What happened to the people that built it at 45? I want to be married at 23. What happened to the people that married at 29? When did your mom marry? <laughs> I mean, yeah, some of us have more married at 18, it's okay. But <laughs> set the Lord before you. That will keep you in a safe position. In a very safe position. I have set the Lord always before me. What am I chasing in this life? The Lord. What do I want in this life? The Lord. Whom have I in heaven beside thee? Who, am, who, am I, who have I on heart but thee? Nothing. My heart and my strength be filled. Yet the Lord is the portion of my life. Forever. What do I want? Okay, by the way, don't say, oh, this guy is just a broke ass and he has nothing good in his life. That's why he's saying like that. <laughs> Not very true. Not very true. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's so so. Not very so so. Not very true. Far, very far from it. To the glory of God. But what I'm saying is that even if you have things, I'm not setting myself, I'm not setting them before me. I am just pursuing God and those things are just meeting me. Like, oh, this one is also there. Okay, I pocket it. I don't refuse it. <laughs> I pursue God and I say, okay, take this. I say, oh, thank you, Father. And I pocket it. 
wife set before me? The Lord. Only the Lord. Verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also rests in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell and I would have suffered the only one to seek corruption. Paul and Stephen and Peter used this to preach about Christ. Now verse 11, which is where we are going to. So thou shalt show me the path of life. What you are hearing this morning is God showing you the path of life. In his presence, his fullness, he's not withholding anything from you. Abundant, is lavish, without restriction. When God gives you joy and pleasure, it means that there is no restriction, no holding back, lavishly, wastefully. That is how he lavishes on Fullness there means lavishly and wastefully. At thy right hand, there are pleasures. Pleasures. Pleasures evermore. My encouragement to you is this morning is that don't be easily satisfied. Don't be easily pleased with the things of this world. They were never ever meant to give you pleasure. If you want to hang out with friends, you do it circumspectly, with great caution, with great restriction. When you want money, you do the same, with great restrictions, with great restrictions, circumspectly. Because they were never meant to satisfy you. Don't be too satisfied easily and say, I just want to settle for this. You are settling for far too less. And you are shortchanging yourself. Your pleasure is supposed to be in the internal one. If you settle for anything else, you are settling for less. The pleasure that you want, the desire to be pleased and satisfied, he put it in you. Is that he might satisfy it. The same way he said, Thou art worthy, O God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things are for thy pleasure. They are, they exist and were created for thy pleasure. So when God wants to satisfy himself, he looks at my face and is satisfied. How then will I be satisfied looking at the bottom of my How then will I be satisfied looking at my account balance? How then will I be satisfied looking at a naked woman in my bedroom? My satisfaction is the Lord. I have set him always before me. So when I want to be satisfied, I just look at him. And I'm satisfied. I continue to look at it. And I'm satisfied. I dead in that cell. That part of me. That sick satisfaction is something else. And I look and I say. When I taste. I will see. That the Lord is tasting. I pray that you approach pleasure. With great wisdom. And circumspect. I pray that you will lead a life worthy of emulation. You will lead a life worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Connect with Always Fragrance by visiting our website www.alwaysfragrance.com or like our page on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram, Always Fragrance. Till I come your way next time with another teaching of God's word, remain ever blessed.